morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. Welcome to our Sunday gathering on YouTube and Facebook. It's so good to have you joining us here for worship this morning. You might notice that there are candles in front of me on the desk right here. And for those of you who have been at our church for a long time, probably know what this is about because in our church, we have a tradition of lighting candles for every victim every time there's a mass shooting in the United States. We take the problem of gun violence very seriously in our church, and we always think it's important to take time in our first Sunday gathering after these tragedies to take some time to lament and to reflect on the reality of these people's lives and to reflect on the reality of these very real problems in our society. Today, I'm gonna to do this a little bit differently. I'm gonna invite you to join with me in a reflection, not just on the lives of those who were murdered on Tuesday in the Atlanta area spa shootings, but I'm also gonna invite you to reflect on some of the social realities that have led to this point. And so I'm just gonna light these candles one at a time, and as I do, I'm gonna name the social realities that have intersected to create this kind of event in our world. Certainly, there are more than eight social realities that have led to the possibility of a mass shooting of Asian Americans, but I wanna name those eight that I think sort of rise to the surface for me in my mind. Some of the, some of the laws and some of the events and some of the attitudes that have fostered in our society that have created a condition whereby somebody might do something horrific like this. Before we do, I just wanna invite you to take a moment to center your thoughts, uh, center your hearts, uh, and let's say a prayer together. Would you join me? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to come together. As we enter into this time of reflection and this time where we open our hearts to hear from you and your spirit, about the hard realities of gun violence and racial violence in our society, we ask that you would help us to listen. That as we hear some of the words that are gonna be spoken around these social realities that you would soften our hearts and to be ready to have our own minds changed and our own attitudes shifted so that we could become the kind of people who are able to work new life in our own hearts, in our own communities, and in our world. We pray, Jesus, that you would pour out your mercy and your grace upon us as we worship together today, and that you would lead us to be humble in the aftermath of an event like this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, uh, I'm going to invite you to reflect with me for a moment on each of these eight candles. If you have a candle with you at home, you're welcome to go and grab it, maybe light it so that you have an opportunity to engage in uh, a candle lighting for this reflection as well. If you don't, that's okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to light each of these one at a time. Each one is symbolic of one of the eight victims that were killed in the Atlanta area spa shootings on Tuesday. Six of those eight victims were Asian Americans. And so this raises again 
the specter of racial violence in our society. And so much of the intersecting realities that I'm gonna speak about in this reflection are related to our ongoing battles with racism and racial violence in this country. I'm also going to speak about some other issues that are sensitive. So if you have kids with you or young children in the room, it might be a good idea for you to pause this video and find something else for them to do and then come back to this when you have the time and the space to reflect on these because some of the subjects I'm gonna be naming in this reflection are probably a little bit grown up for young children to hear. So if you're ready, what I'm gonna do is just light these one at a time. I'm gonna name those realities that I think have been contributing factors to racial violence, particularly against Asian Americans, and invite you to prayerfully reflect on each one of them. In 1854, the California Supreme Court decision that Asians couldn't testify against a white person in court. Christ have mercy. The 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act, which instituted a ban on Chinese migrant labor to the United States. Christ have mercy. The long history of anti-Asian violence from the 1872 Chinese massacre in Los Angeles to the mass burning of Asian communities across the country in the late 1880s and early 1900s. The Japanese internment camps created in 1942 by President Roosevelt, which led to the imprisonment of nearly all Japanese Americans and the looting and theft of their homes and their businesses. The perpetuation of the model minority myth which Asian Americans are co-opted by white supremacy to further subjugate people of color and erase all ethnic identities. The sexual fetishizing of Asian women, especially in films and television, which dehumanizes them as little more than objects for men's desires. The stigma against sex workers, which casts them as immoral persons who deserve no dignity, no protection, and deserve the violence that they suffer. The violent theologies that imagine a God who is a terrorizing force whose anger and wrath can only be satisfied by the shedding of innocent blood. God, we come together and we reflect on these realities that have led to this terrible circumstance in Atlanta, this murder by one man 
who took it upon himself to act out the violence, to act out the wrath that he believed God was directing him to do. God, as people of faith, our hearts cry out that anybody would think that that kind of action represents you and your heart. We pray that you would wake us up as a society to recognize the violence that is inherent in all of these realities. And we ask that you would teach us to become people of peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All of these realities, of course, everything from policies that enacted violence against Asians in America and Asian Americans and Asian immigrants, to the actual acts of violence that have been perpetuated against Asian Americans throughout our history, to even our violent theologies that define God as somebody who is bloodthirsty and in need of the blood of those who are innocent in order to forgive us. All of these things led the son of a Christian preacher to take up a gun and walk into three different spas in Atlanta and murder eight people. All of this is terribly problematic for us as Christians because many of these realities are wedded closely to our Christian theologies. And today, we are just a few weeks away from the celebration of Easter. And so that problem becomes much more significant for us as we begin to read about Jesus preparing himself for a death on the cross. Today, our reading comes from John chapter 12. I want to just read a short portion of it to you, starting in verse 21. John chapter 12, verse 21 says this, says, They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And this is, of course, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. This is towards the end of his ministry, after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he's gathered a bunch of crowds, and as he is on his way to, his disciples believe, sort of take over the throne, take over uh, the kingdom of God from the invading Romans, and vindicate the people of God. In the wake of that, he gathers a kind of crowd. And people have come to Philip to say that they want to speak to the man who is attracting so much attention. Verse 22 Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them in a very curious way. He said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so far, so good. This is exactly what they would have expected. The glorification of the person that they believe to be the Messiah. But then in verse 24, Jesus says something very strange and unexpected. He says, very truly, I tell you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is, of course, a puzzling thing for the disciples that Jesus says to them because right when they are expecting him to take control, right when they are expecting him to overthrow the powers that be, Jesus says no, that something very different is going to happen. He tells them this vivid parable of a grain of wheat. And as you all know from 
when you were in kindergarten and you had that little experiment in your kindergarten or first grade class where you took like a ball jar and you put a wet paper towel around the edges of it and you put like a lima bean in there and you kept it warm and wet and you watered it and then in a few days that lima bean broke open and a little sprout came out of it. That of course is exactly the image that Jesus is conjuring up here. He says, I, I tell you the truth, or in some of your Bibles, it might say, verily, verily. This is John's way, the writer of this gospel. This is John's way of marking out that Jesus is about to say something important. And this is actually Jesus's version of the gospel in the gospel of John. Very, verily, I say to you, or I tell you the truth, unless a seed of wheat, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, no life can come from it. But if it does die, then it bears much fruit. And Jesus is, of course, speaking of himself here. He's trying to clue them in to the reality that things are not going to go the way they expect. Jesus is not going to overthrow the Romans. He is not going to dismantle the system of power. Instead, he's going to be taken into prison, he's going to be tried, he's going to be convicted, and he is going to be brutally executed. And this is where we can run into a little bit of trouble, especially in the wake of a violent shooting committed by a Christian who believed that he was acting on behalf of God. This notion that Jesus is about to die on our behalf can perpetuate those violent theologies that paint God as a kind of terrorist in the sky who can only be satisfied with the shedding of innocent blood. Many of the theologies that you and I were taught growing up in the church are that God could only forgive if God received the shedding of innocent blood. And so as we read this passage, it's almost impossible to separate those violent theologies from Jesus' words that say that he is about to go to his death. But I think what's happening here is Jesus is not glorifying violence. He's, he's not painting a picture of what the theologian Walter Wink called the myth of redemptive violence. The myth of redemptive violence, of course, is something that we all believe when we are raised in a country like the United States, a country that is built on military might. The myth of redemptive violence says that when you have real problems in your life, when you have real problems in your world, that ultimately righteous violence sometimes is the only solution to it. So Jesus is not teaching us a kind of myth of redemptive violence here in John chapter 12. Jesus instead is revealing that violence is baked into our world. Jesus knows that all the systematic forces that are in power in his world are going to catch him up into that system and that he is inevitably going to suffer and die because this is what we do in our world. When people like Jesus come and they advocate for the poor and the oppressed, for the weak and the suffering, it's just a matter of time before those advocates are caught up into that system of death dealing and are crucified, often publicly, to send a message to the rest of us.
Jesus knows that this is what waits for him. Jesus knows that he is about to become that grain of wheat who must die first so that new fruit can come from it. Jesus' parable then doesn't perpetuate this myth that violence can be redemptive. Instead, Jesus' parable points to the reality of violence in our world and points to a hope that exists beyond it. And that hope is that if that seed dies, then new life can come from it. Jesus is saying that there is a revelation of the grace and mercy of God at work in his life that will indict that very system of violence and reveal it to be bankrupt. And out of that disarming, out of that indictment, out of that bankruptcy of a death-dealing system, the Spirit of God will bring something new that brings life and goodness and fruit. This is, of course, a lesson that we can apply to ourselves in a million different ways. For Jesus himself, he became a conspicuous public victim of that system of violence in order to demonstrate that it was a system that was broken. But he also says that this points us to a different kind of life, a a life that in order to escape that system of death, must embrace another kind of death. Later in this passage, Jesus says, repeats that familiar phrase, whoever will lose their life will find it, and whoever seeks to keep their life will lose it. That kind of paradox that when we seek to fulfill our desires, that when we seek to achieve control and power, that ultimately we are crushed by that very system of power and control. But when we put to death our own egos, when we put to death our own temptation to power and control, then we are liberated to find life. And so the parable of this grain of wheat applies not just to Jesus, not just to his very public indictment of this system of power. His parable is also an invitation to us an invitation for us to enter into a different kind of death. A death that is a kind of death to ourselves, where we sacrifice our own egos, where we sacrifice our own tendencies to want to be in control, where we sacrifice our own violent natures. Jesus says if we learn to do that, then just like that grain of wheat, something new will be sprouted inside of us and there will be new fruit that comes. Today, as we reflect on the killings on Tuesday of uh, eight people in the Atlanta area and the racial violence that points us to and the bigger systems of violence and white supremacy that continue in our society, as we reflect on all of this, I want to invite you to reflect on Jesus's parable. My questions for you today are this. What would it look like for your life to bear new fruit? What thing do you think the Spirit of God is sprouting in your heart? What new good fruit could possibly come of that?
My second question is, what attitudes or beliefs or ego desires in your life need to die in order for that new fruit to come? I believe that this is ultimately what the story of Easter is all about. And as we move into the next few weeks and prepare our hearts for the celebration of Easter, we're going to continue to talk about how the Gospel of John really paints a very different picture of the cross and the death of Christ than the one that many of us have been given. And it ultimately is a picture of how there is hope for life that comes out of death. I hope that you'll join us over the next few weeks as we engage in that journey together. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to reflect on all the ways in which this world deals death out to us, all the ways that our uh, culture and our society wrestles with these intersecting realities that lead to these horrific eruptions of racial violence in our midst. And we ask, God, that you would pour your mercy out on us, that you would lead us to become people who are able to die to ourselves so that we can enter into a new form of life, new expression of goodness, new communities of peace. We pray that you would make that a reality for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Hey guys, it's Kaya Palmer, and before we head off, we have a couple quick announcements for you. Um, If you are new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, we would love to connect with you and get to know you. Um, Just simply visit our website, www.oceansidesanctuary.org slash contact. Um, Women's History Month. Uh, Each Sunday, we're spotlighting women of faith, and if you have any women in your life or role models, um that have given you a big impact uh simply just record a little video a voice memo write something down and send it to alex at oceansidesanctuary.org at the end of the month we'll be creating something special with your stories um the deadline is going to be this tuesday um for more information you can go ahead and visit our website um church directory update uh we're in the process of updating our online church uh directory so we can openly open safely and serve you better. Uh, Would you mind making sure everything is up to date? You can even upload a fun photo of yourself if you want to. Coffee and Zoom hang out after church um, on the 28th um, at 10 a.m. We miss seeing you and hearing from you, so we'd love to see you on Zoom. Let's catch up, let's chat. Uh, We wanna know how your weeks and weekends have been going. Um, You can meet new friends, meet some new people. If you're new, this is a great way to learn about the Oceanside Sanctuary and meet um, some of the people who um, have been going here for a while. Um, This will be right after church on the 28th. Um, We would love to see you there. Uh, For more information, go ahead and visit OceansideSanctuary.org slash calendar for more. Um, How to give to our community. Oceanside Sanctuary is a nonprofit um, and we rely on the gifts and donations of people just like you. If you'd like to support our mission, uh, consider giving a gift today. Uh, Go ahead and visit OceansideSanctuary.org slash give. Um, Those are all the announcements that I have for you today. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the week and a good weekend. We hope to see you soon.